Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My heart's beating quickly. This is exciting. <laughs> I don't know why you like so set it up. <laughs> it was great. You set up like, oh, I'm counting down. I'm like, oh my God, the curtain's going to open. Here I am. I'll just keep, this is, this could be the opening. I'll just oh no, God, up. no, no, Chloe, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they I already feel, know I have a bit of, I have a bit of a God complex editing these. I really couldn't do anything. You, you can't do anything <laughs> you, you want. I don't even run it by you before I post it. No, because I have implicit trust in you. My faith in you is complete. I could be editing like (laughs) horrific statements together, like pieced words from different sentences. I could be like painting you as a villain. (laughs) could be a Fox News and I'd be like, oh. Do you check them after I post it? I do listen to our own podcast, yes. All right. It does usually take me a week though. I don't know why. I usually am like, don't be conceited. I could have <laughs> I could have my maniacal edits up for at least a week. And I would have no idea. You'd have Do you no put them idea. up for a week and then take them down knowing that I listen later? Well, no, because I just learned. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I just admitted it. I, I just learned I just it. admitted it. <clears throat> yeah, this is staying in. All right. Oh, well, God. hello, everyone. Thanks for hello. being here. Glad Thanks that you... For- coming back to or joining us you were privy to a real conversation that time i don't considering that we don't really edit much or no we you but also we don't really i don't know i don't i'll edit out restrain myself long breaks uh yawns coughing fits um, those are frequent the parts where we say all that stuff that would get us canceled i usually edit that out and what then, are we saying uh, that you get us canceled? It's <laughs> a joke. I said it too deadpan. Oh. I, I, I you did. I was like, I'm they're back, not going to read. They don't back. know you well enough. They don't know. It was a joke. <laughs> they don't know you well enough to know that you were kidding, Chloe. Let them don't know. cancel us for something that we didn't even say. We didn't even please. say it. She was we just joking even about it, it guys. I was please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to oh, post dear. a YouTube apology. It's going to be completely unedited, and I will and be three hours crying, crying before it starts, so that you know that I'm emotional. Can I'll I take be the lots person... of like pauses? Do you know what I'm going to do that? They're just like, um... I have never watched one of those. I will not. Are you I kidding? Cannot. I can't do it. Why, why would I, I don't want to listen to them just like jack off to themselves. I can't do it's it. It's a master class of acting. I can't. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm watching them work for it. I hate that kind of acting. If you're going to do the it well, I better not see under it. the eyes. <laughs> Jesus, I know. You see them reapplying it. You're right. They like And like the gel. Frame. They're putting the gel. <laughs> So that the tears are going down. Do you know, I I fear the day. I mm. fear the day that I will be uh, emotionless on set. And I will say to myself, is it time for the menthol lie? stick? Yeah. Is it Can time? I say though? Okay. I will say I have used it. And <gasps> the reason why is because it was an abusive fight scene. Oh, and gosh. 
we shot it for about four hours <gasps> and at some point Goodness. i couldn't yeah. like do it anymore and then i was like well, could you just course. please help me with this and of course mm. that's when they were doing my close-ups i was like well, I shouldn't have tried so hard earlier when you don't even see my face. <laughs> um, here I am giving my You're all. Like, Why didn't you empty give me the room. shot list? Like, because <laughs> it was a freaking Discovery Plus show. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm on there, folks. Um, How was the experience? It was actually really fun. I enjoyed myself thoroughly, and I love stage combat. And no, so no, I had no, to... no, no. The menthol stick. Oh, it was very fun. It was very effective. Yeah. Like extremely effective. I do like knowing that. Yeah, it was good. And honestly, it was like, it was nice to know I had a backup so that when I did dry up, because mm-hmm. I did, mm-hmm. I felt secure in knowing that I'm still being honest. I just, my body's like, you're done for yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it I is like so that. clinical sometimes right. that like, oh, we did this fight breakdown so many times that like my my brain is like, I know you're not getting beat up. <laughs> right. Like at some point you can trick yourself and then you can't. You know what I mean? Your brain is like, this is acting, sweetie. Like, <laughs> like, honey, it's not really happening to you. So just get up. Well, I was also I, I saw something about actors trying it and it was so strong that they couldn't open their eyes and they couldn't even act. It was well, like how painful. much were they putting on? I don't know. I think they're just different. Brand Are they layering also. it up? No, it looks like well, chapstick. You give a quip swipe and you're like fully going for it. It's great. I, like, I wonder if you need to inform people that you're doing it or if you can be like, oh, I'm just going to get some water really quickly before we start the scene. And then you just like slather your face and you come back and you're like, I'm ready to act. No, because you do start crying immediately. Oh, it's so like you can't like you can just be it. like, oh, I, 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 I was I got in character when I got water. I mean, you could, but I feel like everyone on set would hate you because you're one of those, you know. You can't win as an actor. You really can't. Either you're a diva, you're doing too much, or if you can't get there because you didn't prepare enough, then it's your fault. It's your fault. Four hours later, and they're like, why aren't you crying? I'm like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Anyways, welcome back to another episode of Two Jaded Actors Host a Podcast. (laughs) I'm... Uh-huh. I'm Chloe, and this is and Maura, I'm Maura. <laughs> uh, This is actually over it. badass broads. No, no, no. I mean, I we am. We are yeah, so but... badass that we mm. just don't understand why the world does not see our badassery yet. Guys, if you don't know Chloe Lexia Worthington. Oh, full name. Is... Well, not the legal name. If there's anyone on this planet who should be a freaking superstar, it's her. It's driving me nuts. Uh, you're driving Go check me her nuts. out on the gram, the YouTube. Mm. Oh, TikTok. Chloe. I forgot about TikTok. She is the coolest. You're talking you're to her so right sweet. now or listening. I'm talking to her. <laughs> Whoops. We're doing great, folks. Um, No, thanks for coming back if you are. And if you're coming for the first time, welcome. We like to talk about awesome ladies from history that you should have heard about or would like to learn more about. And we are (laughs) here. This is a gentle learning experience. It's a gentle, gracious, we're quiet, (laughs) meek women. Um, If you watched Bridgerton and said to yourself... The I want non water surfing scenes. Yeah, I want, I want the bit. Give me some. What's... Give me some historical context for that one. Yeah, give me some letter writing. 
that's also not what this is. So log off. If <laughs> you're no, in the wrong no. place. Or say maybe you like this too. You don't know. I think <laughs> I think we're a little delusional. <laughs> a little. Which is the perfect place to start. We've been covering the six wives of Henry VIII. And this, folks, this is it. Wow. We have reached the pinnacle, the last wife wow. that poor Henry VIII, and by that I mean the poor wife mm-hmm. of Henry VIII. Um, she's the survivor, Catherine Parr. I bet you want to know how she got that far. Quotes from Six the Musical coming your way. I would like to quickly point out before we begin mm. that I just realized since mm-hmm. we do this once <laughs> Jesus <laughs> since mm-hmm. we do this once a month mm-hmm. that means that we have been talking about the wives <laughs> of Henry VIII for 6 months <laughs> it's been half a year kids 6 months and i am still here our in the lives same chair. have been steeped in history day in day, day out, out. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's all I wanted to say. Please. Continue. I like it. I thought you had more to say. You kind of ended like you still had something to say, but I, I respect that you ended there. It was a good end. I just like to keep people on their toes. Mm. Actress, folks. And that's why. <laughs> Jesus. Go for it. <laughs> no, I'm I need scoring to like a say. two out of ten on the joke scale this evening. <laughs> I need to know what you were going to say. No, that was the joke. Get it? That was the joke? That you got keep, almost to the end keep, and then stopped. Keep them on their toes, you know, I, oh, and that's why. Oh, but, um, boy, don't make geez. me explain it. Don't make me explain it, please. I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> All okay. right. Final We're here. Life. Welcome. Hello. Hello and welcome. Historically, that is wrong. Today, we discuss the one, the only, Catherine Parr. We did it. Perfect. Are you ready? Perfect. <laughs> We're on a roll. Okay. Yes. I'm going to give you the scene. You're going to set yourself there. Okay. It's 1512. Mm-hmm. It's maybe August. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Running joke. We never know when people are born because we don't care about them. Women in history. At least we born. know the year this time, guys. I'm really proud we know the year. Yes, I'm not yes, debating yes. the year. Okay. That is that actually is an improvement. I'll take I know. It. Maud Parr, which mm. Maud is one of my favorite names. I don't know why. And Sir Thomas Parr, the Lord of the Manor at Kendall, mm-hmm. have their first child, a girl named Catherine. And Guess who she's named after, Chloe? Guess who she do you who do you think she's named after? Who? Queen fifteen twelve. Yes, good job. I'm so proud of you. She is named after Catherine of Aragon. And yeah. it's because her mommy, Lady Maud, was a very close friend and attendant of Catherine of Aragon. Mm. Uh, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. So the Pars are a really interesting family. They are loosely descended from Edward the Third, because everyone was because of Catherine Swinford. We will go into this one day. It, it's the most complex family tree that I have reviewed. I probably review like on a monthly basis and still continue to get wrong. Um, just because everyone has the same four names. Yeah. And it's like someone's 
stepmother? Is there like half sister's brother? Like, it's so ridiculous. It's, it's a lot. Anyway, so mm-hmm. Thomas Parr is descended from Edward III, who isn't the Parr family. They're this, like, they're an awesome family. They're not ennobled yet. They're, they're knights. So they're not mm-hmm. of the nobility, but they are obviously like of a higher rank. Her younger sister, Anne, becomes a countess and her brother is the first Marquess of Northampton. So they they do end up becoming a noble, but we'll get into that. Um, so her dad became really close with Henry, Henry VIII. They're all Catholic at this point. This is prior to the Reformation. Um, and Catherine of Aragon is most likely Catherine Parr's godmother. Like they were pr- pretty solid, pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lady Maud um, was like at court while she was pregnant. Um, so Mm -hmm. that's kind of lovely too. She, um, I don't know. She was like surrounded by her gal friends. That's rare. Usually they're like, you will be born in the ancestral home. That's decrepit. And they didn't do that Mm. to her probably. Um, Mm. so her father, I think he died pretty young, unfortunately, again, not uncommon. Doesn't mean it's not sad. Mm. Um, he passes away and yeah, he, when she's five, but by all, for all intents and purposes, by all accounts, they were actually quite a happy family. So it was Catherine, then her um, younger brother, William, and then Anne, who's the youngest. And Lady Parr proved herself to be like one of the coolest people. Um, If there were more information on her, I would insist we do a whole episode, but unfortunately I don't have a ton of info on her, but Mm. I do know that she was brilliant. Um, She was absolutely determined to do well by her children and by herself. So they weren't poor by any means. They lived a fairly lovely life, but they were by no means extremely wealthy. Um, Mm -hmm. But she taught her children to be as religiously devoted as she was. Um, They were very well educated in the scripture and in languages. So Catherine Parr was said to have a elementary knowledge of Latin, but considering most people of this time were, I don't know, illiterate, that's pretty good. Um, (laughs) Mr. David Starkey, folks. Here we go. Here we go. Had to do it to him. Had to do it's it to him. last time I had to do it. Hold on, I have to go to my front page. For the record, what I find fascinating, and I will continue to do this throughout this episode, is that he ends mm-hmm. almost every single paragraph in Catherine Parr's single chapter. Um, he gives her 80 pages, guys, so we'll take it. Um, better than Anne of Cleves. He ends almost every single paragraph with a question mark that's entirely rhetorical and really weird. And I think it's funny. I think he got tired. Give us an example. Um, Oh, I'm going to. I'm trying to find my favorite one. There will be too many, however. 702, paragraph one. They're saying that is Catherine a Catholic or part of the reforming group? And, And I quote, There were passionate reformers and outstanding preachers, and Catherine, as we shall see, had close family ties with the most radical of them. What if she had begun to listen to them? What if she had begun to believe them? Then he follows it with, but despite Catherine's caution and whatever the nature of her religious belief, the pilgrimage finally caught up with her. What? I'm going to keep talking about them. They're so so stupid. So there's no point to it. Oh, none. It's great. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. But for William, or her brother, oh, so let's just say Lady Parr killed it in the marriage market for her kids. She mm-hmm. took out a loan to pay a thousand pounds at the time, which was insane 
to mm-hmm. have control of her son's marriage, which was given as a ward of the state to the king because she is a woman. So she paid $1,000 to buy that right from the king back. She did it. And she married her son to the Earl of Essex's daughter, who's his heiress. So he's going to marry an, and become an earl. Like, it's nuts. Um, That's pretty good. Oh, she did so well. And then she then paid out more money to then be able to marry Catherine and then mm-hmm. Catherine's sister. And it all paid her back like tenfold. It was amazing. Um, but here we go. So if this custom were to be followed, meaning that William's wife, um, Anne, not to be confused with his sister, Anne, if William's wife, Anne, um, were by the courtesy of England rule, which I actually wrote some of my senior thesis about, it's the idea that an extinct title might be brought back for the husband in courtesy of his wife. So for example, this is the Earl of Essex. He doesn't have any sons, no immediate first um, like male members of the family. Therefore, primogeniture doesn't take hold. Primogeniture is the principle that the eldest son inherits everything. Um, mm-hmm. So that meaning that the wife then inherits, the woman can inherit. And women were allowed to inherit. What oh, I can go into this. I wrote way too much about this in college. But women were allowed to inherit. What changed, and the laws around inheritance were never... Um, taken away from women, but they were limited over time. Mm -hmm. And so part Mm -hmm. of that was that the line kind of died out with her. She couldn't be the means by which a title could pass or through which, excuse me, but the courtesy of England allowed for that quote, extinct title to be given to the husband of that woman. Okay. So he could become the Earl of Essex Mm -hmm. by virtue of the fact that his wife is the heiress of that estate. Mm -hmm. So back to Starkey, he says, it was a glittering prospect, but it was bought by a price that went far beyond his mother's cash. For William was my Lord Parr, the man whose marital unhappiness and whose goings on with his mistress, Dorothy Bray were, as we have seen, regarded as an object lesson by the not very choosy Catherine Howard and her would be lover, Thomas Culpepper. Would his sister Catherine's marital history turn out any better? (laughs) Like, yeah, she married a king and didn't get killed by him. Spoiler alert, by 600 years or 500 years. Okay, so Catherine, eldest daughter, she had some money left to her by her unfortunately dead father. Mother was like, I'm going to make this work and I'm not going to make you unhappy. So, which is rare and very exciting. So Catherine Mm -hmm. can speak multiple languages. She's lovely. She can run a household. She knew how to dance and read and play music. Um, And she was completely enamored with learning. She loved learning and loved reading and um, was a very devout woman. And Mm. so she's raised very Catholic. One of the things um, that is eventually left to her by her mother when she passes away um, is a a rosary that was given to her by Catherine of Aragon. Um, So that's pretty incredible. Um, and that was a, a cherished possession of hers uh, throughout her life until she eventually gives it to a very special lady. Um, I'll talk about that. So she's kind of, there are like marriage negotiations happening with a man. So Maud Parr, um, Catherine's mom, was so awesome that like people would send their kids to be educated by her. So it was the hmm. better version 
of what poor Catherine Howard had to go through. It was like the actual right. version of like being educated and she had such a wonderful reputation and Lady Parr was so smart. She refused to get remarried. Absolute queen. She was not very old when she was widowed and she was like, nope, nope, I can do better myself. And she did. And they're done that. Yep. I'm good. Um, again, she was by all accounts very happy. Um, but unfortunately I think the plague got to the father. So um, Catherine is in negotiations with one of the guys who's in the household with her mom being educated by her mom. Um, he is his last his name is henry scrope <laughs> great his father's Stunning. lord D- lord dacre dacre mm-hmm. d-a-c-r-e but mm-hmm. they were disagreeing over the dowry because uh henry scrope didn't have a lot of money was looking for a lot of money from Catherine, who likewise had some money but not a ton and lady mm-hmm. Parr is like dude i see that you're trying to get all of the money from my daughter and no and he was like but we won't be able to ever agree if we don't meet something in the middle and she's like great then we won't agree and then that was it absolute boss mm-hmm. um and then henry scrope ended up dying a year later so it kind of worked out um and then so edward burrow or edward de burrow who is the grandson of a second baron um ended up being the guy chosen so she's married um and she's 15, 17 excuse me in 1529 for, again at 17, she's like practically ancient from what we've been seeing of women getting married. So good for her. <laughs> right, right, um, right. So he was a good match. He was ranked a lot higher than her. Unfortunately, there was a streak of hereditary insanity in his family. Um, oh? Yeah. <laughs> his father was not very well uh, in the head. And... Mm-hmm. It was a pretty unfortunate existence to live um, in the household with him. But thankfully or sadly, um, her husband passed away four years later. And Mm -hmm. she's a widow at the age of 21. She never had children with him. Mm -hmm. And her mother passed away two years before that. So after two years of marriage. So she um, was gifted some wonderful, very... um, valuable jewels and such um from her mother and so she was able and actually a lot of these you can trace back to being gifts from king henry the eighth and catherine of aragon which i think is really Ooh, lovely that's um, wild isn't that wild that like she ends up getting married to her godfather kind of are, are we is this a positive thing it, it's like kind of weird 20 years later it's kind of weird to me oh but... it's gross no it's oh, nasty okay you keep oh, no, saying lovely. I think it's kind of interesting. I'll keep it in the fam. <laughs> oh, have these been sarcastic lovelies? Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> I did not catch that until right now. Oh, no. But what's I mean, funny okay. about that is that it's I was not, along she for the ride. Have, I was going to say, <laughs> but she compared to some of the other women, though, I guess we could say non-facetiously that this is lovely. Okay. She's not been entirely miserable. Okay. And has been well educated. Okay. Which, as we know, opens all doors. Um, And not a given. Nope. Nope. So she's got a little bit of money from her mother. Her marriage portion was used up in that first marriage. She was not left with anything. But very quickly, she was able to get married again. And this mm-hmm. was quite the freaking match. So her husband's name is John Neville. His name is mm-hmm. uh, titles Lord Latimer. She becomes mm-hmm. Lady Latimer. Unfortunately, he is 20 years older than her. 
okay. He has been widowed twice and he has two kids. So she becomes were, a mother. They were happy. And when he, spoiler alert, passes away, she genuinely mourned him. Um, mm. And I think it was because it was, to a degree, an equitable marriage. Um, mm-hmm. And again, quite a coup. So she's married into the Neville family, which is one of the most important dynastic families in England, likewise uh, descended from Edward III, because who wasn't? Um, sure. And so she became extremely wealthy. And um, perhaps one of my favorite details that I didn't know about Catherine was that one of their family, uh, country, their country seat is at a place called Snape Castle. Aww. And I had no idea. Isn't that fun? It is fun. Yeah. And also at, um, oh, whatchamacallit, there's another place that she was, Stowe. It's still in existence and it's absolutely massive. And she was granted that um, in her dower, which is pretty amazing. So she is happy. She has kids. Um, She, again, doesn't get pregnant with this marriage, but she has kids by inheritance, if you will. And Mm -hmm. she got along very well with her um, stepdaughter. The stepson was a bit older, so I think he was like, I'm an adult. And she's like, fine, do whatever you want. Um, Mm -hmm. And then this thing happened called the Pilgrimage of Grace. And we've talked about this a little bit, but this actually does come into play with Catherine's life a bit. So the Pilgrimage of Grace comes up. So around 1536, maybe a little Mm -hmm. earlier, it mm-hmm. seems as though the pilgrimage of grace begins. And this is a kind of, uh, it's a rebellion about religion, right? That's why it's called that. It's the language of it is, is pilgrimage. Um, these are gentle pilgrimage. So here we go. Another rhetorical set of questions for us. Um, the idea of being compelled to lead is a strange one. Were the gentle and no- noble pin- pilgrims really coerced or did they connive? And then he goes, the question has been much debated by contemporaries and historians alike, and then offers no conclusion. None. Hey, that's how I used to write my papers in high school. Yeah, but you're not a fellow at freaking, or now he's not anymore. Ha ha ha. Uh, he was a fellow at Cambridge. Uh, Don't be racist. That's all I'm going to say. So her husband gets caught up in the fact that, you know in this pilgrimage of grace basically it's catholics against the new anglican movement which is effectively catholicism but in english and ruled by henry mm. not a pope right mm-hmm. um latimer is older he was raised catholic and is still very much a sympathizer catherine herself was raised catholic and it does seem though actually that she is very sympathetic toward the newer religion and in fact becomes very staunchly um protestant which is i think very interesting but to me it speaks to um, her genuine faith. I think she genuinely sought answers for herself and was looking for, you know, whatever fulfilled her and made her feel most at ease and in peace. And mm-hmm. I like that she was able to choose for herself. Luckily for her, it coincided mm. with the quote winning side, but you know, I, right, I don't right, think right. it was like a maneuver to make herself not die, even though it maybe was, and then became genuine or, you know, I am inclined, however, understanding a bit and reading more of her letters and understanding a bit of her um, character that it she isn't one to to play act at anything like mm-hmm. this. Um, right. So her husband, however, does some bad things and he is very radical and effectively 
she keeps quiet the whole time. So her husband's like taking part in the pilgrimage and she is just like nowhere to be seen, which is, I think, absolutely important because some of the women who even there were saying like, your husband, you're being stupid. Like even they get caught up in it because they're, Mm. they're mentioned in this whole upheaval, but Mm -hmm. she didn't, she wasn't mentioned. And I think again, what's very interesting is like, again, she has a rosary, which was treason in and of its, her, itself. Her religion was quite conservative. However, she, again, either seemed to just understand the tide politically or mm-hmm. and or was losing sympathy with Catholicism and wanted that newer um, kind of idea. Later, she does say that, you know, I had been very enthusiastically Catholic. And she says, I quote, I sought for such riffraff as the Bishop of Rome had planted in his tyranny and kingdom, trusting with great confidence by the virtue and holiness of them to receive full remission of sins. Mm. And clearly, you know, for herself seeks her own um, religious faith instead of as brought down by a guy in Rome, but instead by a ginger in England. Um, So, you know, So again, it's interesting, like she could have been legitimately believing it. She may not have been, but regardless, her husband's almost executed and she and her family, the tides have turned. He goes, um, you know, he goes into the, uh, he goes into London. Unfortunately, uh, he gets arrested, but then he gets news that he went in there basically to like turn himself in, like, sorry. But then he gets news that his wife and children have been captured and his house has been looted, which is the case. So Catherine's living through some really kind of horrific things. She, she wasn't able to leave. She was kind of the rebels came up and um, kind of burst into her house and threatened her and her children. There's a apocryphal story. I believe apocryphal that they sent a letter to Latimer saying, if you don't come back um, immediately, uh, we're going to kill them. But it doesn't seem like that was the case. They just wanted to sell everything in the house and scare him. And Mm -hmm. so Latimer was able to kind of get out of it. And it seems like he was able to get out of the situation because of Catherine. She was very well respected in court. Again, like Henry had met her before uh, by virtue of the fact that she was half raised at court um, with his first marriage, which I will just remind our listeners was like 20 something years long. Mm -hmm. Um, And that... I think he under Latimer understood his wife's kind of shrewdness. And so he kind of took a backseat and they kind of were able to just slip away and not be, you know, that uh, caught up in all of it. When in reality, you know, he easily could have been executed in herself right along with him. And so thankfully, um, because of her silence and, you know, she says very clearly that like, she says, actually, which is very interesting, um, she doesn't judge King Henry. She says that, and again, to me, this shows her genuine conversion, but he's God's chosen instrument. Um, and he, she says this in one of her published, we're going to talk about it, so exciting, um, books um, that King Henry was our Moses who hath delivered us out of the captivity and spiritual bondage of the Pharaoh, that is the Pope. Hmm. so he you know it's a bit she does lay it on a little thick but i think again she's not one that strikes me as being very uh superfluous in praise she she seems to believe it and so 
They Mm -hmm. kind of get out of it. Her brother does very well. And I think through that, um, they were able to uh, kind of re-ingratiate themselves. And also the fact that Latimer was able to bribe Thomas Cromwell, who at this point was alive. And um, Cromwell's like, we'll slip it under the rug. Don't worry, you know? (laughs) And so Catherine's younger sister is going to get married. And it's a big deal because Catherine's younger sister, Anne Parr, is one of Jane Seymour's ladies. Um, So she marries... Uh, William Herbert in 1539, and she becomes the chief gentlewoman of the privy chamber to Anne of Cleves, and in turn becomes the same, retains the same position when um, Catherine Howard is replacing Anne of Cleves. And we Mm -hmm. don't really hear much of Catherine Parr. And I think it's because she was, she was busy. She was raising two kids, um, running a very, very large household. And her husband, unfortunately, was becoming a bit older and a bit ill. And so he passes away um, in 1543 in March. And they seem to have, again, gotten along very well. He gives her money um, and gives her, like, rights to some really impressive uh, castles and such. And then Catherine is a widow. She's, I think, only, like, 31 or 2. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still very pretty because she hasn't had to have 12 kids at this point. She's 31 and she's very rich. Um, so things are looking yeah. good for her. Um, and she meets this man, Thomas Seymour. Does the name strike you as being familiar? Jane? Yeah, it's her brother. Jane's brother? Jane's brother? Um, <laughs> yes. And... She falls in love. I mean, deeply in love. And it seems like... Whoa. It's so interesting to me because he's... We'll get into it. A bit of a douche. But... That's why she fell in love. I know. But he's so pretty. Tale as old as time. It is. Tale as old as time. Yeah. You're right. Why are we like this? Because she was just married to an old dude. And this young, hot guy who's only two years older than her. Oh, no. The confidence of a jerk. The confidence of a white man in his 30s. Whose nephew will be eventually the King of England. All right. You know know what? Good for her. Experience and passion. Do they get together? You'll have to see. No. This is the podcast. (laughs) I know. I'm about to see. In like 20 minutes, you'll see. Jeez. Come on. Okay. So, have to wait? Yeah. God, skipping ahead. So it seems like that she did everything she was supposed to do. She had two f- marriages, passionless mm-hmm. but respectable, and was herself respected, was given freedom, and in her widowhood was finally maybe able to do something she wanted to do. And she met this man and was like, you are hot. And he's like, I know. Same with you. You've not been disfigured by 15 children. And she goes, I know. I'm lucky. And then they try and get together and they're writing each other letters. And it seems like it's going to happen. And it's just going to be beautiful. And then then Henry VIII is like, no, I want you as my wife. Oh, not that timing. Mm-hmm. That's sad. So it, it's unclear when they first met. Um, it seems as though she's kind of always in and out of court. She was quite good friends with the Lady Mary at this point, Mary Tudor, um, Catherine mm-hmm. of Aragon and Henry VIII's daughter. We love Mary. Mm. Um, it, 
it seems like she was either introduced by her sister or her brother or Barry. At some point, they are kind of, you know, in the same circles and she's lovely and mature. And may I remind you, unfortunately, of the childish nature of his last wife, who was, as I remind everyone, a literal child. Um, And here's a a 31-year-old woman who's been married before, is wealthy in her own right, and you know, doesn't seem to be that insane. Mm -hmm. Not that his wives were, but he had a habit of making women crazy and that's because he sucked. So unfortunately, Catherine's in love with Thomas Seymour, but the king says, you need to marry me. And she goes, well, that is technically an order from God God himself. Yeah. Yeah. And so she actually prays about it for a long time, which I think is really interesting. So there's a story that she prays and prays And she gets an answer and she didn't like the answer. So she keeps praying and praying. She gets an answer. She hated the answer again. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. And then finally she said, quote, though his grace and good through his grace and goodness, he made that possible, which seemed to me impossible. That was made me renounce utterly mine own will and to follow his most willingly. And that is to marry the king. So she again submits herself to marriage. Um, but she determines that she's going to be a good queen and a good mother to his children. She is determined to make the reformative religion, you know, important in England. And mm-hmm. um, it seems like people weren't mad about it. It was like, oh, uh, even like some of the, like <laughs> Chapuy, who's the Spanish ambassador at court's like, this one seems pretty solid. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah. And like other people, one guy who ends up being like the worst and tries to have her killed. We'll get into it. Um, It is even like, she seems really awesome. I think I'm going to like her, you know? Mm -hmm. And then she's really awesome. And he goes, I'm a sad man. I don't have any way to cope with my feelings of inadequacy. So, oh yeah. So she's the first queen of England to also be the queen of Ireland because Henry and Catherine get married on July 12th, 1543. Um, she is 31, probably almost 32 next month. Um, Mm -hmm. she is the first queen of England to also be the queen of Ireland because Henry's like, I'm the king of Ireland. And Ireland's like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes, I am. So she is technically the queen of Ireland, according to his (laughs) statements. Um, they are very much related, but Mm -hmm. it's because, ready for this? I'm going to be confused. I'm reading it out loud. By Henry's mother and Catherine's father, they were third cousins once removed because of Ralph Neville, the first Earl of Westmoreland, and Lady Joan Beaufort, who's the granddaughter of Edward III. And then by their fathers, they were double fourth cousins once removed. I don't okay. even know what that means. You know, sometimes you just got to kind of say, okay, and and just go with it, you know? That's what I've done with anything it, to do it, with Edward III. Anything yeah, to do not, with him, I'm really like, gonna, okay. It's not really going to change a lot. Nope. Nope. It's terrifying. But hey, now you know. <laughs> but do we? <laughs> no, we... I mean, we, I, I don't. I don't... Under- how about this? We know, but we don't understand. Okay, so... Yeah, exactly, exactly. There you go. So they seem to kick it off quite well. Again, she's like, this is what's happening, but I'm going to make my peace with it, and I'm going to be a good mother and a good wife and a good queen. And she really okay. took her job seriously, and I love that about her. So her former stepdaughter, um, 
became her lady in waiting and her stepson's wife got a position in her household and she made it her mission to reconcile Henry with his daughters. That was a huge, huge uh, goal of hers. And she was successful in that. And I think that's really extraordinary. I will like to remind, you know, that Catherine Howard did try and do that, but she was unfortunately murdered. So she wasn't able to finish that. (laughs) Gold star though. She gets a gold Gold star star. She really got a gold star for effort. Um, (laughs) So they went on like a, I know it is her whole life though. I feel so bad for her. I know, I know. I just want to give her a hug and say like, Baby girl, it's fine. Baby girl. Baby girl. I'm sorry that you were never allowed to be a child. Uh, oh, oh, that's so sad. Oh, so true. It is. Let's have a moment of silence for Catherine Howard. When did she die? I think it was pretty recently, like in the calendar year. That was a short moment of silence. Jesus. Oh, never mind. Sorry. She died on the 13th of February. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was like an intrusive thought almost. <laughs> it was actually. I'm sorry. I think I, I, I was like, like settling into a meditative state. <laughs> were you really? That's impressive. I can't meditate. No, I was just, I was given the moment, you know. Oh, I love that. No, yeah. So no, I, I can't I, meditate. It was absolutely an intrusive thought that I somehow said out loud. Cool, cool. Okay. <laughs> so they basically are on they immediately go on progress which is when the king goes around and visits his various lands and meets the people it's very important to Mm -hmm. them um Mm -hmm. but it actually ends up you know going on for like six months and for Hmm. the first time in about 20 years henry's like i have a family again and she's like yeah and it actually seems really lovely they all seem to have enjoyed being together um that sounds wholesome it kind of does um what's very interesting is so mary is only four four or five years younger than catherine Mm -hmm. her new stepmother but Mm -hmm. given that her last one was younger i think she's cool with it also she knows her they were kind of raised together catherine gives her um presents when she's married to their father, which I think is really lovely. She's like, hi, I'm your new mommy. And they're like, we've had so many. Um, oh, so she, she bribed them. No, no. I see no, how I, it is. I see, see how it is. Stop. <laughs> they seem to be genuinely touched and to no, enjoy No, that's it. nice. That's nice. Yeah. So Mary's in her mid-20s. Elizabeth is 10 years old. Um, wow. And Edward is a wee babe. So, mm-hmm. Catherine and Mary get along super swimmingly. It seems like Elizabeth is unfortunately, I think due to her age, um, is a bit more distanced from court. I think also her mom was a bigger stain on Henry's conscience, perhaps is what Mm. I'm reading into it. Um, Mm. So by Christmas, they're kind of all together at court and it's really lovely. And um, yeah, people like all around all the courts in Europe are like, oh, they're all together again. That's really nice. You know, it's actually really funny. Um, Are they all in one household? Oh, that's lovely, the family. Um, So David Starkey tries to take away the fact that Catherine made it happen to re-inherit the the girls, but I won't do that to her. Um, So there's a secondary succession act that's passed that the girls are reinstated to the order of succession. It didn't legitimize them. Because again, he declared them bastards because he declared their marriages to their mothers um, illegitimate, but it mm. did reinstate them in the line of succession. 
which is basically saying the same thing. It's all semantics and he's being a grump. So <laughs> that's really important though, because this is one household with a distinct line of people who will be able to inherit when the king dies, which was looking like it was going to happen not too far from now because he is so old and so gouty and has such an ulceritic leg and it's pretty sad. Oh, I forgot about all that. Yeah. Never forget about the ulcer. I mean, I, I, I won't now. Yeah. Have you seen one of those? <laughs> no, I'm okay. But we'll throw I'm one up on the ground. I'm not going to show you. No, I wasn't yeah, going we'll to. Inst- no, no, no. Can you imagine? Like a, a Instagram warning, like this might upset delicate. Yeah. Or they just <laughs> suspend our account just right off the bat. <laughs> nah, they got like pimple popping people on there. It's not that bad. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so what unfortunately ends up happening is... This is all seeming really idyllic and lovely, and Catherine's getting really close with her stepdaughters, and um, she encourages Mary to uh, do a make a translation of a really famous um, kind of writing. And she says, "Oh, I I was going to undertake this myself, but I know that your Latin is much better than mine." And Mary's like, "You're right, it is. I'm going to do it." And then they just get along really well, and she which is very sweet um, for Christmas who Elizabeth, who is 10 writes perhaps one of the most eloquent letters I've ever read in my life. And she's freaking 10 years old and it's just what? upsetting to me. Yep. Hmm. Yep. I got to find it. So Elizabeth writes, I'm quoting her. This is a letter I have read. We'll try to read the handwriting is really beautiful, but it's real hard to read. Okay. Right. Really hard. Mm-hmm. So she says, unkind fortune, envious of all good and always turning human affairs upside down, which has deprived me for a whole year of your most illustrious presence and not this content has again robbed me of the same good. Which thing would be intolerable to me? Did I not hope to enjoy it very soon? Like, I miss you. I'd like to see you again, mom. I'm going to cry. It's so lovely. <laughs> so... I know, and that's so sweet. So there's an interesting kind of religious debate going on at the time. It's like war. I don't really care that much because what ends up happening is, is I think, enough. But one of them is that women's um, abilities and um, encouragement to be seen in a religious sphere is actually kind of limited by the um, Anglican church, which is very interesting. I think it's basically as the power to 
interpret God's word was given to a man, albeit a godly one, the king. I think Mm -hmm. it was kind of transferred. It trickled down, maybe, um, to other men. And, you know, it basically was like, they're the arbiters of faith, which unfortunately you see existing to this day with like horribly culty groups and, you know, all that the God is man and whatever. Mm-hmm. So women were kind of not forced out of the religious sphere, but effectively they were not allowed to be as involved as they used to be. And that was a huge kind of refuge for a lot of women. And it was a resource to them. And so it seems like, it, it seems like Catherine is obviously not thrilled with by that, but she doesn't really rock the boat yet. I think she's still like, I'm still getting my feet on the ground. I'm still, you know, a new queen, a new um, mother to these girls and a new wife. And so, but it definitely takes a toll on her because we've talked, you know, already, like her faith is extremely important to her and um, her meditations on it are to this day actually prayed for in churches, which is so cool. Um, so hmm. yeah, I know. So then what happens to disrupt this peaceful, happy family time is that Henry's like, you know what? I gotta go help out in a war. And she's like, are you sure that's wise? You're really old and you haven't been on a horse in like probably about 15 years. And then he goes, yeah, I'm doing it. And she goes, okay. So after 30 years, the king leads troops into battle again. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's what happens when men lose their virility. They're so fragile. With all the leg stuff. Yeah. Apparently, they had to help him onto a horse with, like, a bit of a crane. Like, a very primitive one. A crane? Yeah. Okay. I would pay money to watch that. Right? (laughs) Money. Cold hard cash. Cash. <laughs> Singles. <laughs> it's magic mic, but instead it's like you hear just the, no, it's no, like no, the no, creaking. No, no, and you have no, to put no, it in no, different no. parts of the like no, the no, lift. No, 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 no. The horse gets That's most horrendous. of the tipping though. As he should. He has to do most of the work. The what makes that image so awful is how much I dislike Henry the Eighth. <laughs> do you know what I do you know what I mean? Yeah, but how pathetic is it when you see like thought he's on the horse like it just the makes only me laugh. the only reason that it's a sad image is because of his intentions going into it probably you know what i oh, mean yeah, like no, to I, show off that he's a like, big i'm still a big boy right like that yeah. makes it that makes it ridiculous <laughs> yeah i know i think it's so funny anyway so he goes into war and he's like you know what i think you're pretty smart. So he appoints her regent, just like her godmother, Catherine. Huh. How nice is that? Nice, I guess. It is actually. I'm not being facetious. It's actually really lovely. Um, All right. And what I think is really cool is Catherine's signature, which we will post, is Catherine the Queen. And then she, in her signature, incorporates her maiden name. So she goes, like, Catherine the Queen, colon, KP, Catherine Parr. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because she spells her name about four different ways. For all intents and purposes, I'm going to spell her no, name the actually... way that we. Yeah, were you debating it? No, I was going to ask about that just because it's a another Catherine. Yes, I will say because she is named after Catherine of Aragon, we should spell it that way because when she signs her name, she does seem to sign it 
it's hard to gauge at some point she's signing it with a K at some point she's with a C in her official signature. It's K A T H R Y N Mm -hmm. with a K P. So maybe we do K maybe we set her apart, even though I think she was like named after Catherine. So we should spell it Catherine. You know what? I go off of what she signed herself, how she chose to identify herself. And one of the, Really good signatures we have of hers is a K. Okay. There you go. So there we go. I'm committing. You heard it here first. That's what it'll be. Watch us have to issue like an apology. I'm like, no, I was wrong. I didn't mean it. I meant it. Okay. (laughs) Corrections. Okay. So she is an incredibly effective regent. She has a marvelous time. And I think what's really lovely is at this time, both Mary and Elizabeth are often at court and it is universally agreed upon by um, historians alike that she is 100% an inspiration to them as they establish their own rules. She is, Mm. you know, she is intelligent. She understands her role. She stands up when she knows that she's correct. Um, you know, she is a shrewd, a wise, a good ruler, a good queen. And I think you can absolutely see um, her influence in both Mary and Elizabeth Elizabeth's reigns. And I think that's just wonderful. Um, and it's just so lovely to see that, you know, and Catherine absolutely thought of these girls and her earlier stepchildren as well as her children um, and invested in them she made it her mission to make them a family again i think she saw you know what they had gone through um with Mm -hmm. all the various wives and the i don't know your father telling you that you're illegitimate and i should never have married your mother and yada yada yada. that jazz yeah and even edward edward loved her he called her his like most beloved mom like mother it's just because of course she's like the only one he remembers because his mom died two weeks after he was born and Anne of Cleves didn't last very long and Catherine Howard unfortunately didn't either. And so then we have Catherine Parr coming in and she makes it to the end and he remembers her that way. And Mm -hmm. again, throughout this time, she's encouraging the girls to write and focus on um, various translations of things. That was actually a very common um, thing to do is to take a, a, like a a well-known writing or written piece, maybe by like a, like this one, which I love, is Marguerite of, Nav- Marguerite of Navarre, who we will absolutely talk about one day. She wrote this mm-hmm. um, kind of epistle called Mirror of the Sinful Soul. And so she, Princess Elizabeth, as an 11-year-old, translated it from the Italian into English. And um, it's just so lovely. So this is what Elizabeth says in her dedication, which, by the way, she then embroidered a cover for the book, which we still have. It's so cool. Ooh. So. Elizabeth says, to our most noble and virtuous Queen Catherine, Elizabeth, her humble daughter, wishes perpetual felicity and everlasting joy. Not only knowing the effectuous will and fervent zeal the which your highness hath toward all godly learning, as also my duty toward you, your most gracious and sovereign princess, but knowing also that pusillanimity, I never say it right, pusillanimity, pusillanimity. I don't think I know that word. I think it's effectively just like, what's puissant in French? Puissant? Yeah. Powerful? Oh, no, I didn't mean that. (laughs) Never mind. Not pugnacious, but like a bit idle and bored. 
Mm-hmm. So she says, but knowing that, that word, um, and idleness, there you go, are most repugnant unto a reasonable creature, and that, as the philosopher saith, even as an instrument of iron or of other metal waxeth soon rusty, unless it be continually occupied. So she basically says, I know that you love learning, and I know that you know that I I need to keep it up, because otherwise I'll grow rusty and I won't be able to do it anymore. And so I translated this little book out of French rhyme into English prose. So I think what's so lovely is she she does this completely um, out of love and respect and joy and absolutely took care and time to not only do the translation, to transcribe it in her own hand, and also to embroider a cover for the book. Um, Mm. To me, it speaks volumes of the lengths to which, um, you know, Catherine went to ingratiate herself in their lives and not just ingratiate, but to genuinely become a part of their lives. Um, Right. Like a very thoughtful way. Yes. So beautifully. And Lady Mm -hmm. Mary does the same thing. And so, um, you know, she's, she's translating various um, kind of epistles and things. And, um, Mary, unfortunately, as we talked about in our episode about her, like suffered from a bit of ill health. And so she wasn't able to finish it, but she loved doing it when she was doing it. Um, and so the King is like abroad, but everything's going super well and Scotland's kind of trying to invade, but then they don't. And then Mary queen of Scots is born in 1542 basically. And then Henry's like, I'm nervous. But then in 1543, Mary queen of Scots, the one-year-old is betrothed to Prince Edward, the heir of the throne because they're cousins and that makes sense. And so everyone's like, everything's mm-hmm. fine. It's great. And, um, the King completely like, he continues to give her more and more responsibility as regent. And then he comes back and they're super happy. And she writes these letters to him while they're gone. I think it's really interesting. Again, I can't tell how genuine she's being, but she says like, I will miss you. I I regret that we can't be together for this, but I hope that we will be together soon again. Um, and skipping because I don't care about war. Uh, so not only is Catherine like running a country but she's also taken the time to you know I don't know write a book sure Mm -hmm. so she gets published in 1545 the king comes back um at the end of 1544 um and she publishes with his permission of course prayers and meditations and um it's the first book published in England by a woman under her own name in English. Wow. Ever. That's so cool. I know. <laughs> it makes me so happy. That is what you would call a fun fact. I know. So that's the, it, it was written and eventually published in 1545. And that year, for New Year's, which is um, a very important celebration in the Tudor religious festivals of the end of the year. Guess what Elizabeth does? She translates it. It's 60 pages. Hmm. She translates it into Latin, French, and Italian and gives it to Henry VIII with, as well, a beautifully embroidered um, cover with 
that includes not only Henry's um, monogram, but Catherine's as well. That's a lot of work. She's 12. That is a lot of work. It's impressive. No? I Like, you know, 60-year-olds can't do that. I know. Wow. I know. Cool little lady. She's so cool. I'm impressed. Thank you. I am too. <laughs> oh, sorry. So she, she, okay. She published Psalms or prayers, but she wasn't allowed to do it under her own name. And that was in the, that was the year before. And it was just an English translation of um, a Latin book called Psalms that was written by John Fisher. Hmm. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, it's less cool. I mean, it's still very cool, <laughs> but she wasn't allowed to print it. She was, she could only print it anonymously, anonymously. And then of course she was able to the next year print her own. So yeah, she wrote two books while ruling a kingdom. Heck yeah. I love her. Um, Heck yeah. Right? So she's like so into it and I love it. And she ends up writing, I don't know, like the next year, another book called The Lamentation of a Sinner. It unfortunately gets, um, it's written in 1546 and it's published in 1547. And it's a very interesting book kind of all about understanding the aspects of religion and and so it talks about confession and repentance and it moves to the ideas of conversion and prophecy and then what's i think most stunning is she actually writes it in first person and she talks about her own journey through those themes and i it's published after king henry passes away and I think the reason why is because as the queen, she could never have written kind of admitting her own sinfulness, right? She calls it the lamentation of a sinner. Um, she writes it as a holy religious individual. And had she been the king's wife, she could not have admitted that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And she was very anti-Catholic in it and was very pro-Protestant and and very um, humanist in her ideas. So she she really was kind of reflecting on her own religiosity and its journey and the themes that, you know, kind of populate her own life. Um, so I think that's really lovely about this book. And you can read all three of them, which is so cool. And um, I love that. So again, she's ruling Where? as regent. Oh, uh, online. Just Google it. No, no, no. Sorry. I said rare. Oh, yeah. I was like, where? But also, <laughs> yes, let the people know. Online, just Google it, probably. Yep. That's what I always do. Um, Amazing. Project Gutenberg is always <laughs> stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but because these are so old, obviously, they're over 500 years old. I believe they're public domain. So you can oh, find awesome. it. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. So Henry comes back and he kind of takes over again. And, you know, she kind of realizes like, oh, I guess I don't have as much power, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, oh my God. Sorry. I'm just seeing how many rhetorical questions this man has written. I'm going to read you a really good one. So what ends up happening is there's that guy who at first like totally loves Catherine and is like, Oh, she's awesome. And his name is something I can't say. He's the new Lord Chancellor. It's spelled W-R-I-O-T-H-E-S-L-E-Y. Rothsley? Riosley? Silly? I'm assuming you're close. I'm going to say Rothsley. Great. 
So they don't like how awesome the queen is. And Bishop Gardner's the other guy. And they're like, you know what? Let's get rid of her. Mm-hmm. And then they read some of her work and were like, oh, she's a woman with opinions? No. Um, and so they cook up a literal plan to get her executed. Ay, ay, ay. So what it starts in the idea that the king has started the um, uh, absolution of the monasteries. He's destroying religious centers that were inherently Catholic and taking a part of all, you know, taking all of that wealth and making it his own. And he's moving on to the colleges of Oxford and Cambridge because at the time they were re- semi-religious institutions and funded by, um, well, the king as well. But, you know, he was trying to get rid of all of that. And so he ends up, they're they're like looking to save themselves, these colleges. So they write to the queen and they're like, hi, um, please save us. And she goes, well, you know, they kind of write back and forth. And then he goes, it's a really interesting conversation she has with like the deans of Cambridge and so they kind of come to a agreement and she says, you know what? I will put your suit to the king and I will, um, you know, I will happily talk to him on that behalf. And what's interesting is that she writes that with confidence. And I think Rothsley and Bishop Gardner are like, what mm-hmm. is this? And so I'm going to quote Mr. David Starkey again. The contents of this letter no doubt relate to Henry and Catherine's interview with him, probably astonished and troubled Henry. For here was a woman who not only strayed into the territories of sacred and profane learning, but presumed to redefine their respective frontiers as well. Where would it stop? Or rather, when would it stop? What Was he high, maybe? I think maybe. I can't think of any other explanation. I know, right? So they start going off about the king and then basically like one guy's like i'm gonna write a letter and like drop it from my window like it's so stupid very high school but it could lead to someone dying and that's so unfortunate um so they kind of drop this letter saying i don't know i don't know about this queen i heard that uh she's on her way out i heard that she's a heretic and cares about her own opinions and believes herself to be uh, more important than the king. And um, what I think is also really interesting is, again, Henry is always mad at this point because he is very, very overweight and is constantly with an infected leg, like a genuinely infected leg, um, which is so gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so just a little background. they She says they would kind of engage in these debates of theology and she loved it and he loved it. And so, but of course with gross people kind of sprinkling in his ear, like, Oh, she thinks that she's intelligent. Um, Mm -hmm. And that the King, uh, you know, needs to look at quote, cherishing a serpent within his own bosom and that the queen's a heretic and a Lutheran. And, um, And so, you know, he starts thinking like, oh, maybe she's uh, bad. So he starts like bringing up the debates again. And she's like, awesome. You know, she loves this kind of intellectual conversation and stimulation. And of course, she's doing it, not even knowing. And the king's like, by golly, you men are right. And so he signs a warrant. He signs a warrant for her arrest. And it's debated who tips her off, but someone thankfully does and goes, you're going to be arrested and killed for being a heretic. And she goes, oh, shit. So 
that night before she's arrested, the king tries to like bait her into this, you know, debate about religion. And she, having been tipped off about it, goes, oh, I mean, you know, the only reason I even had these conversations with you was so that it would take your mind off of the pain that you were in. And that I would always refer to you to his better judgment and as my Lord and King. And the King is like, I love that. This is great. What does he say? It's so stupid. And then he goes, Oh no. So yeah. So he's saying like, she's like, I will refer my judgment to you as my only anchor. And he goes, not so by St. Mary, you are become a doctor, Kate, to instruct us and not, and we are not to be instructed or directed by that. And she said, I, again, I only did it to divert your mind from the pain you were in. And I also Mm -hmm. wanted to profit from your own learning and brilliance. And he goes, is that even so sweetheart and tended your arguments to no worse end than perfect friends. We are now again, as ever at any time heretofore and they kiss and make up. It it worked that quickly. Yeah. Obsessed. Little bit of complimenting, little bit of flattery. And he's All like, oh, okay. All I believe took. you. I know. So then um, he's like, Gardner, Rothsley, you suck. And then Rothsley doesn't get the notice that he's not supposed to arrest the queen. So they're walking later, like the next day. And he goes to arrest the king and the king calls him a knave, a fool and a beast and get out of my presence. And, and, you know, and the queen's like what what's happening i don't understand what's going on and he goes ah poor soul thou little knowest kate how little how little he deserves this grace at thy hands so he's like oh sweet baby ju- baby girl little little woman once again baby girl baby girl but in a more patronizing way so yeah of course the king is declining. I think everyone kind of knows what's going on. And by the end of 1546, it, it's very clear that he's not going to live much longer. I think even he understood it. He dictates his will and he gives, you know, the kingdom's going to be Edwards. He's giving a lot of money to the queen and he wishes to be buried next to Queen Jane at Windsor Castle. And toward the beginning of January of like 1547, he's doing a little bit better. Um, but on the 28th of January, he called his family to his side for a final goodbye and died at 2 a.m. at the age of only 55. Hmm. This man was only 55. Think about that what really, his life that really entailed. is unbelievable. I know. Extraordinary. And how many others, other lives were entailed? <laughs> Truly, though. And so, you know, it is said that Catherine was quite, you know, upset. Obviously, this is very sad. Hmm. They weren't able to visit the king. Um, the new king, King Edward. Um, Mm. and he was entirely under the control of his regency, um, which was led enough, weirdly enough by his uncles, uh, the Lord Edward and the Lord Thomas Seymour. Mm. Mm. Thomas brother Seymour. Maybe the one that Catherine was in love with before she had to get brother of Jane. If I recall. Yes, ma'am. Very good. Very good. The hot douche. The hot douche. The one <laughs> and only. All right. So perhaps a little too indecently after her marriage to the king comes to end, uh, they get married. <laughs> how qu- how quick we talking? Pretty quick. Hold up. I got to look at the date. Mm. Um, they got married in 1547, the same year. Okay. I don't know. My my in bar, official my... in a, in official mourning, you are supposed to wait like multiple years. Right, but the bar Especially as a dowager queen. 
changed for me just knowing how quickly like for Henry yes but he's a man you forget you forget no (laughs) oh yeah they got married four months later and she was supposed to seek a permission from the regency council because she's the dowager queen but they get married in secret and then edward doesn't know and he's really mad he's like um stepmommy why'd you do that Mm. and um and then she tells him like okay he writes a letter to her saying like i wish you did better but okay and he goes i do love and admire you with my whole heart wherefore if there be anything wherein i may do you a kindness either in word or deed i will do it willingly and then the council's like well i guess we just don't pursue that so she's blissfully happy blissfully in love and for the first time in that kind of marriage with a man who's not substantially older than her. Mm -hmm. And I wish I could say it lasted. Um, She very excitingly at the age of like 35 becomes pregnant in March of 1548. She didn't even conceive during any of her first three marriages, which really does to my mind, you know, prove that, Henry had some competency issues. Some issues, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also that her other husbands did. Um because they also didn't have many kids or any at all. Um so she's very happy and very pregnant. Um and she invites uh Lady Elizabeth to live with her. Lady Mary wasn't that thrilled that she got married again so soon. She thought it was a bit indecent. Um so it kind of drove a wedge between them, but it, it didn't last very long. Um, the Lamentation of a Sinner is published in November of 1547. And it, you know, is a very interesting, um, thing. Basically the, um, what I love is they, Edward, uh, in his role as King, um, ordered every single parish to have a copy, um, so that many generations of literate parishioners would have, um, dedications to her learning and commitment to the vernacular Bible and her role in the English Reformation, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone's surprised she's pregnant and Lady Elizabeth's living with her and Thomas Seymour gets a bit of an eye for the 13-year-old Elizabeth. Um, No. Sorry. It's okay. Okay. It's debated what happened so much. Um, it said that he would come into her room where he wasn't wearing much and would tickle her, which okay. is perhaps the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. No, just like a full on predator. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to mention that um, right after King Henry died, he uh, proposed to lady Elizabeth who was 13 and she's like, uh, no. And then he's like, fine, I'll marry the dowager queen. And she's in love with him. She actually writes this stunning love letter, which we can post um, mm-hmm. and she says to him, I would not have you think that this mine, good, honest, good, my, that this mine, honest, good will toward you to proceed of any sudden motion of passion for as truly as God is God. My mind was fully bent. The other time I was at Liberty to marry you before any man I know. Mm-hmm. Be still my heart. Well, so okay. I'm not really feeling, <laughs> The information about what he is like is... Oh, I know, but hold up. Let's just think about how happy she is. He does suck. Yeah, I From her perspective, she doesn't know that. I can't remove that, that, though. Okay, but when she wrote that, she didn't know it. 
Yeah, but I still can't. I, I still I I can't think of it sweetly anymore. I know. I'm. I love the fact that Catherine was able to experience romantic passion and love for herself. I hate who it was with. Okay. Okay. I can get on board with that. <laughs> okay, cool. So she didn't know uh, that he had done that to Elizabeth, that he had proposed. Um, you know, he calls himself her stepfather, and he didn't really make it well known that um, they're entering, that, you know, he would enter Elizabeth's chamber and would wear not much and would climb into bed with her. And um, Elizabeth's lady in waiting was like, Are you joking? And then finally, Catherine sees uh, in April of 1548, while quite pregnant, um, sees that she, it's said that they're embracing again, how consensual that is. I don't know. Um, obviously it's probably not uh, because she's mm-hmm. a child and also it's coercion and grooming and yeah, it like can't be, but yeah, nope. <laughs> it's also like her step uncle. Yeah. <sighs> Apparently when that happened, Catherine didn't say anything and just left the room. And Mm. soon after that, Elizabeth was sent to one of her own estates. Mm. It it is said that this is most likely apocryphal, but it is said that upon leaving, Catherine told Elizabeth, God has given you great qualities, cultivate them always and labor to improve them. For I believe you are destined by heaven to be queen of England. Hmm. Which is interesting because at this point there was absolutely no reason for her to be queen, which is why I think it's apocryphal. Her younger brother's going to be king forever. He's going to get married and have kids of his own. And, you know, she's just the youngest, the third unwanted illegitimate kid. Um, but, you know, I like the sentiment of that. Yeah. Um, so they continue to write, which is why I don't believe that they had a very, like, un, a very, like, weird, um, kind of cold relationship it doesn't seem like that's the case i think later the god the georges victorians really read into this and um i think makes me a bit uncomfortable with how much they sought to like change aspects of her life Hmm. but so Catherine's obviously not totally secure in her love and marriage anymore she's very pregnant and um she is actually interestingly enough attended to by lady jane gray who some people may know becomes queen for all of nine days um, after, after Edward dies, um, who's of course, they're all cousins. Um, she's going to educate her in her household, much like her mother was hosting other, um, you know, aristocratic girls and um, Mary or Mary, uh, Catherine gives birth to a daughter, Mary named after Mary Tudor on the 30th of August of 1548. And unfortunately, on the 5th of September, she passes away from what is most likely purple fever or childbed fever. And Mm. yeah, so she has her funeral on the 7th of September of that same year. It's the very first Protestant funeral ever held in English. And soon after that, Thomas Seymour, um, it it is not thought that Mary Seymour, the daughter, lived very long. Um, It's difficult it's difficult to see again, this is her fourth marriage and Thomas Seymour ends up being, I mean, as we assumed a dick. Uh, so he gets executed a year later for treason against Edward the sixth, his own mm-hmm. nephew. 
as wow. was put into place by his own brother, Edward, who wow. also will get executed for treason. Wow. Fun times. Um, so Mary was most likely, um, most likely did not live past the age of two, which is very common, unfortunately. And um, so she lived with the Dowager Duchess of Suffolk, who was a very close friend of Catherine's. And then um, she passed away most likely. And it, it seems, you know, just like she kind of disappeared into the tumult of the next couple of years um, that Edward only rules for, five, you know, four or five years. Lady Jane Grey is very loosely um, proclaimed queen and nine days later is not queen. Mary's queen for five years and then Elizabeth's queen. So, you know, for about 10 years, there's a bit of an upheaval of religion and kind of all the above in the, in the realm. And so Catherine's, she's not forgotten and she's not put aside because her work remains important in the religious sphere and is well published. Um, but, you know, I think she's always been kind of identified as like the, the survivor, which she absolutely is, but that was only a, a small portion of her life. You know, I mean, she's, mm-hmm. she passed away at the age of 36 and only for four years of that life was she a queen. Um, right. Right. And yeah. so I'm I'm always inspired by her whenever I read about her. I'm inspired by the work that she did and her her drive. I love it so much because women weren't allowed to have ambitions and uh, opinions except for the most part in the religious realm and Catherine did and pursued them and like Elizabeth said about her like I know how important that is to you that we learn and continue to learn and improve ourselves. And I think what a beautiful legacy to leave behind and clearly one that was adopted by her two later stepdaughters who became extraordinary Queens in their own right. So I think Mm. she leaves behind a pretty solid legacy. Also you can read her work again. I love it. I love when we can read them. We can never read it. It's so cool. <laughs> it's very refreshing. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, I can see what she was wanting to say. We actually have her own handwriting. Yeah, that's it's cute. the letter where she tells Seymour that I, I wish I could have married you. <laughs> that's wild. This is before they actually got married. This is in 1547. Mm. Before they get married, she said, "Had I had any free will of my own, and the king didn't propose to me, I would have married you." That's probably a bold thing to write. It was, Imagine and it still exists. You know? And it's on display at a castle, Sudley where? Castle, which is where she lived and died. Oh. It's really pretty. I bet. It is real pretty. Castles do tend to be really cool. <laughs> Sometimes they're, I mean, a lot of them are in ruins from the time periods I like to study. So I'm like, it exists and I can go and there's a roof? <laughs> like, no way. Hey, it's the little things, you know? It is. It is. I love it. <laughs> Wow. I I I enjoy learning about her intelligence and her thoughtfulness. Me too. I think she's a really extraordinary woman. I think she seemed very bent on serving. And I I think that's a that's something I identify with and it's something that I think is really powerful for a woman to commit herself to when mm. that wasn't really something she was expressly allowed to do, you know? Absolutely. Pretty incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Six wives down. Zero to go. <laughs> Zero to go. We did it. And again, he was only 55. You know. He was married he, he from found 15. He some good eggs. 
I know. He was married from 15, I know, from 1509 to 1547. You know, I don't really feel like there was any, any woman, I, I don't know, queen, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that really seemed awful. Isn't that something? Isn't that wild? Who seems to be, uh, I don't know, not the worst the problem? one. But yeah. The, the problem? Yeah. There you the go. Man. The problem. Mm-hmm. The man. Yeah. You know, this isn't an anti-men podcast. I do want to put that out there. It's just this man. He's Not my favorite, at least. Nasty one in particular. Yeah. And what's really interesting is if you look at him strictly as a king and as like an adjudicator, as a ruler, as yes, a reformer. I guess we didn't, we didn't talk about that as much. No, because this isn't yeah. a podcast about men there are so many books about him are you kidding i don't need to say anything else but i will say just for a perspective you know shift he is extremely important to the history of the development of the country and realm that is england and sure yet he had such a messy personal life (laughs) just a weird weird personal life and i think unfortunately the women you know, they've been, I think what I love, Six the Musical, we got to talk about again. They say like in the story, they want to separate themselves and like, hey, we matter too. And it's so true because each of them, and I hope that we've been able to explore that fully, have their own absolute personal identities yes. and are are deserving of all of the, uh, you know, praise and lauding that he gets himself. Absolutely. And yet they're always talked about in terms of it's, henry the eighth's fourth wife or you know but they're yeah, more it than does that. it does feel like those articles you know the the things that have gone viral recently of incredibly accomplished well-known women being referred to as oh my god yeah, insert but that's like male person's wife that's <laughs> you know, always like... been the case though i mean it sucks but that's always been the case it's yeah. always so-and-so's wife yep I think that's why when Obama introduced himself as like <laughs> Michelle's husband, I was like crying. Love. Like, I've never love. heard someone do that before. <laughs> Thanks. It's a nice idea. We hey, we did it. We did, we it. did it. We love you her. Guys, we love them. You did it. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's Thank the you. exciting thing, listener, Tell me. wherever you are in the world. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's coming next. <gasps> for the first that time used to be that used to be the case every month and then for six months <laughs> you knew now you don't know again and here's the thing i don't know either and it's gonna be very exciting for both of us next time here's we the other in. thing i don't know either yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah right, right right yeah 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 oops. Oops. so all three of us will find out in the oh, next that's episode. it all three of us <laughs> you me and and the listener the listener we'll Love find it. out in the next episode of historically badass broads the first wednesday of the month thanks for listening thank you so much until then dear friends oh beautiful Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 